Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Compass Church. Great to be with you. We are in a series called Charting Our Course, and we've had a, a nautical theme to it, and I've had great fun sharing with you all a, a story from my great-grandfather's autobiography. He was a Norwegian sailor, and I have another one to share with you. I uh, read about the summer or the months right after his wedding. The first story was about right before his wedding, where he almost didn't make it to his wedding, remember? Well, the way a sailor works is they didn't stay home for too long. And so after enjoying marriage and his beautiful new bride for three months, he said, darling, it's time for me to hit the high seas once again. And so in August, same month, back in 1906, uh, my great-grandfather, Soren, got a job joining a crew of 24 on a ship called the Wellington. They loaded up with lumber and were sailing across the Atlantic, heading towards South America. And one night, my great-grandfather Soren was sleeping. He was off duty, and so he was enjoying some sound sleep down below when an unexpected storm came upon them very suddenly and unexpectedly. You know, when a storm comes on, the sailors have got to get the sails down or it'll be bad. And these guys didn't have a chance to get the sails down. It just it shocked them that quickly. And because these hurricane force winds came with the sails still hoisted high, it actually tipped the boat, the Wellington, on its side. And instantly water started rushing into the boat, and they tried to right-size it and uh, sided. Nothing would work. Uh, the winds, the waves continued to just pound it. And... Uh, the boat was filling up with water. My poor great-grandfather, can you imagine this wake-up? Where all of a sudden he comes flying out of his bunk, out of a sound sleep. He lands and he realizes he's standing on the wall and not the floor, you know? And at that moment, water in torrents starts rushing into this cabin he has been sleeping in. He struggled, you know, to find his way out, but his help was no good. That boat entirely filled with water. Now, when it was entirely filled with water, it right-sized on its own, okay? But at this point, it was submerged. I guess the deck level was at sea level. And so you say, well, why didn't it sink all the way? The only reason it didn't go to the bottom of the ocean was because its cargo was lumber, which helped it stay afloat. Well, they survived, and the next morning they hoisted the sails, hoping that it would move, but it didn't. When you're that waterlogged with the whole boat down in the water like that, it wouldn't move at all. And they realized they were in big trouble. To get food, they had to scuba dive, literally of a sort. They would hold their breath and go down into the cabin and the hold looking for food that wasn't disintegrated in the water. And they found some, but not much. And that food quickly was eaten. And, and they found themselves floating adrift in the middle of the Atlantic without much hope. I found it really curious to hear what they did next. My great-grandfather Soren explained that they took a wash tub that they used to clean clothes and stuff, and they tied it to a rope, and they hoisted it up one of the masts 
as high as it would go up into the air, which I didn't realize, but I discovered upon reading, that this was understood back then as a universal signal for help. That's how people would essentially say, SOS, look at our wash tub, we're in trouble, come and get us. And so there they sat, out in the Atlantic, hoping that some passing ship would see their cry for help and come to their rescue. Uh, You know, it didn't happen for a long time. For nine days, they went without food. Can you imagine going nine days without food? They got to the brink where they were feeling that, you know, all hope was lost. When suddenly, on the very distant horizon, they saw what looked to be a ship passing them by. That ship was actually a massive ocean liner, steam-powered passenger ship going from London to New York filled with passengers. And one of the crew members scanning the horizon saw the sun uh, shine off of their wash basin and brought this you know, flicker of light he saw to the captain's attention. And the captain had a decision to make. Can you imagine that decision? You know, you got a crew member saying, I think I saw like a little sparkle of light in the horizon, you know, can we go check it out? And I can imagine, uh, you know, one side of him was inclined to say, yeah, maybe that is a cry for help and we should explore, investigate. Another side of him saying, hey, listen, I'm, I got a course set. I, I've got a boat full of passengers who we've promised to get to New York as soon as possible. I don't have time going on these excursions to check out what was shining in the sun. Well, I am so glad that the decision was made by that captain. Let's go check it out. And he did. He, he veered off course and they steamed towards this light. And sure enough, they discovered uh, my great-grandfather Soren and his crew on the verge of starvation. And they saved the day. My great-grandfather describes how they were brought into the stateroom with this elaborate feast laid before them of gourmet food. You know, sailors didn't eat that well. And so they were just in heaven taking in the meal on this luxury liner. And they saved the day. I, I look back to the decision that that captain made. Am I just about staying to my own business? Or is my business helping rescue others. Important decision. Had he not made that decision, I just want to point out, I wouldn't be here today. Uh, I, uh, that, that was the summer after they were married, and my, my uh, grand, great-grandmother was not yet pregnant with my grandfather. That happened the year after. And I, my very, I owe my very existence to the, to the benevolent decision of that captain to be about the rescuing of people. Folks, we have the same decision. You say, I don't see any wash tub hoisted around my neighborhood. Well, let me tell you, you've got drowning people all around you all the time. See, we live in a world where the majority of the people in our world are trying to make life work without God. Do you realize that? The majority of the people in our workplace, in our communities, have 
struggled through life without God. And you know what? Life without God doesn't work. Let me just say it frankly. The emptiness, the meaninglessness, the often misery that accompanies a life without the God we were designed to do life with, it's empty. And the situation is precarious because the Bible teaches that if they never find God before death, they won't have God after death. For all eternity, they will do a life without God. And so the serious nature of the need for rescue is very real. And as Christians, we have a decision to make, don't we? We can say, I'm just going to stick to my business. I've got a life and I'm just going to live my life. And I'm going to ignore the cry of the souls around me and just say, la, 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 la. Somebody else will have to rescue them. You know what God says? The Bible says, the Lord turns to every Christian and says, you are my ambassador. You are my agent of rescue to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to all the world. And God says, I want to use you. And you may say, oh Lord, you can use somebody else. Use the evangelist. But you can't use me because I'm scared and I'm timid and I'm shy and I'm not articulate and it's just not good idea. I'm going to stick to my own business. And that, my friends, is the wrong decision. Let me, let me show you a review of our four priorities that we've been studying. Do you remember this series, Charting Our Course? It's not about us charting our course. It's about the Lord charting our course. We've been turning to Scripture and saying, God, what are the top priorities that you're calling us as a church to embrace? We looked at Pursue Him Daily through prayer and Bible. We looked at connect and community. The church is not a show you attend, a family you belong to. And can I just applaud everybody? Daryl put out these kiosks out there for people to sign up to try a small group. Over 300 of you have stepped out of the spiritual isolation and taken the bold step of entering into a small group. I am blown away, and I applaud you for that courageous, obedient step. Last week, we looked about the importance of serve. Serve one another. God's given each of us a spiritual gift to be a contributor to the health, effectiveness of the local church through serving in some role. And now we are at our fourth, and that is reach your world. The world around you needs the good news and the hope of Jesus Christ, and we are called to reach out to them. And I'm really excited to study this topic with you by looking at a wonderful verse or section of Scripture, Luke 19. In fact, grab your pew Bible. If, if you didn't bring a Bible, I would encourage you to read it. We'll have it on the screen here, but it's good to look at it on the, in the book. Luke 19 verse 1 talks about Jesus, and it models his commitment to reaching out to his world. It says in... Luke 19, 1, that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Some of you heard this story before. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. So if if I could just make a few observations, Jesus wasn't headed to Jericho. In fact, it says he was passing through. That's important to note. His plans were just to move right through this town because he had another destination in mind, all right? 
Let's keep note of that. And as he's passing through, there there was this guy named Zacchaeus. And I should tell you that tax collectors were notoriously crooked. Okay, They got rich. This guy was wealthy, and they all were, because they abused their authority. They overcharged the people and kept the overcharge, the margin. And by abusing their authority and taking advantage of the people, they grew very wealthy at the expense of the people they were supposed to be serving. All right? So they were hated, wealthy but hated. He was the chief tax collector. He was wealthy, and he wanted to see who Jesus was. We need to talk about this because he's obviously got a spiritual hunger This Jesus was known to be a rabbi of extraordinary popularity and power of presentation. He was a spiritual leader whose reputation was spreading through the land. And Zacchaeus had heard about this rabbi Jesus. And when the word spread that he was passing through his hometown of Jericho, Zacchaeus had a desire to see Jesus. And I just want to point out that God was already working in the heart of Zacchaeus. (laughs) God was already working in the heart of Zacchaeus before before Jesus arrived at Jericho. Uh, That's important because sometimes we sometimes view ourselves as the initiators of a God movement in people's hearts. And that's not true. When we encounter people who are lost, who are spiritually adrift. God's already at work in them. He's already begun to soften their heart and to woo them. And so we know we're joining the game that God's already at work in. Uh, This Zacchaeus already had a longing to see this Jesus. Let's read on. It says in verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short... I picture Danny DeVito. I don't know why, but that's just what comes to mind. Because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, and so he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Smart guy. He said, all right, I see what road Jesus is on. Up ahead, I know that tree. I'm going to climb that tree, and as Jesus passes by, I'll be able to see this famous rabbi. When Jesus reached that spot... He looked up. (laughs) This is good. You got to imagine the mind, the heart of Jesus Christ in this moment. Was Jesus planning to stop in Jericho? No. Remember, we already learned he was passing through. And yet when he gets to that spot, he sees something maybe humorous in his mind. You know, some short guy has climbed up into a tree. He's not a kid having fun. He's a man, a grown man up in the tree. And Jesus noticed him up in that tree. And in that moment, Jesus had a decision to make. Again, I was planning on passing through. I have an agenda. I have things to be done, a place to get. But in this moment, I see a guy in a tree. And Jesus said, you know, he seems pretty serious about seeing me. This catching a glimpse of the Messiah seems high on his priority list. And Jesus probably said, I bet there's a real hunger going on in this guy's heart. Now, what Jesus had a decision to make. Do I get involved 
Or do I just focus on my plan and keep going? It's that same decision that the captain of the boat had to decide. Am I in the rescue business or do I just mind my own business? Do you see that? What do you think Jesus is going to decide? Folks, we have those same decisions to ourselves. Do I get involved in the rescue business or do I just mind my own business? You know, this decision reminds me of a uh, newscast that I saw about a bank robbery. Maybe some of you remember seeing this. Uh, In West Allis, it's a suburb of Milwaukee, there was a bank robbery at the Guardian uh, uh, Credit Union. And they actually had the surveillance cameras going, uh, a couple different cameras, and captured the whole event and showed it on the news. And so I'm Excited to be able to show you this bank robbery. Ready? So here we go. I don't know this young man's name, but he's the teller, and there's the bank robber. He's got a gun, and he's telling him, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me the money. And this poor teller A, we'll call him, he is thinking, I only make 10 cents over a you know, minimum wage. I don't need to die. You know, this is not good. Well, here's the bank robber coming in right now, and this is next to teller A. This is tell her B, and she also is terrified as her very life is threatened. One other guy I want, here's the rescuer. This is a man who chose not to reveal his name to the media. He's 54 years old. He's married. We're going to see his wife in a moment. And he loves free popcorn because he has come (laughs) into the bank. His wife's taking care of the transaction. He's reading a magazine, I think, over there. And you see the popcorn machine. He's Keep shoveling it into his face. Well, he sees the bank robbery right now, and he has to make a decision. Do I get involved, or do I mind my own business, eat my popcorn, and go about my day? And he's like, well, I love popcorn. One more mouthful. (laughs) And uh, I think I'm going to get involved. Look at that. He's walking around. Let's go to the other angle where we'll see. Watch this. Here he comes. Boom! On the bank robber. And now look at his wife. Whoa, no, my husband. Can we rewind? Look at this. Stop. Stop right there. He's flying through the air. He's like Superman. Watch from this angle. Watch this. Boom. Take him down. This 55-year-old man put this bank robber in an iron grip, held him until the police arrived and made the arrest. His wife, you know, what do I do? What do I do? I'll... I'll cheer him on. That's it. I'll cheer him on. No, I'll help. I can help. Watch this. Boom. Yeah, boom. Can you believe that? Is that awesome or what? I was just inspired by that. Come back. Come back. What you see there is, is, a, is a courageous man, I think you'd agree, and his wife. She was his partner in, in uh, rescue there, <laughs> lending her foot. <laughs> and that couple, you know, was just going about an ordinary day, going to the bank to make a deposit, thinking, you know, nothing special about this day, when all of a sudden there were two young tellers whose very lives were being threatened at gunpoint. And that man said, I could choose to just mind my own business and enjoy a normal life. But he made the decision, no, I think I'm going to get in the rescue business. 
I think I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I think I'm going to leap into action. And together, that couple rescued those two tellers and saved the day. And we all have a decision to make. And unfortunately, I would argue most Christians choose not to get involved. Most Christians just say, I'm just going to focus on arriving at the end of my life safely and not stir the boat. But there are some who have a heart of love for people. That heart of love reflects the very heart of Jesus. We see that reflected in this passage. Because when Christ looked up at Zacchaeus in the tree, he said, put all plans on hold. I'm stepping in to this guy's life. And let's take a look at how it happened. So, verse 5, it says, When Jesus came, reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus. Now you say, how does he know his name? Should I remind you, Jesus is God in human flesh and as God has miraculous divine knowledge. And he said, you know what will wake him up is if I just call him by name. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. Oh, I love this moment. Try to envision it with me. Zacchaeus is like, I got a good vision. Oh, I can see him. I can see him. I can see him. He stopped. He's looking at me. This is awkward, you know. know, And suddenly Jesus says, Zacchaeus. He knows my name. I want to hang out with you today. Could we spend some time together? I'd invite you to my house, but I don't live here. You do. So let's stay at your house. Let's hang out. And Zacchaeus said, awesome, and got down out of the tree. And they went to Zacchaeus' house. And Jesus socialized with this notorious sinner. Folks, I believe that one of the most important ways for us to be those committed to reaching our world, those committed to part of God's rescue plan, is just sharing life together socializing with those who are far from the Lord. Sometimes we Christians begin to insulate and isolate ourselves from meaningful relational connection to those far from God. All of our friends are believers, our family are believers, and we just don't have meaningful relationships with those who don't know the Lord. And that must change. Jesus understood that. And so Jesus prioritized relating to and spending time with this man very far from the Lord. And I have to confess that I'm, I'm bad at this by my own initiative. You know, I'm, I work at a church, did you know that? And uh, we employ a lot of Christians. And as a result, my coworkers, you know, we share that bond of faith. And, and, and by my own initiative, I'm not doing tremendously well at relationally prioritizing those far from God. Now, my wife saves the day because my wife has a gift of hospitality and a love for people that exceeds my own. And as a result, she blesses me by making our home a place of neighborhood get-togethers. I can't tell you, on many, maybe every other day, I come home. I, I go to our back deck and 
neighborhood kids are jumping on the trampoline and a bunch of neighbors have gathered around their table talking and Jen puts out drinks and food and we just hang together for a little bit before everybody goes their way for dinner. And beautiful friendship is being born in our neighborhood as a result. At first, people were a little wigged out. You know, we got a pastor living in our neighborhood, you know, but they seem to have gotten over that, and they love coming our way. Sometimes it's these informal gatherings in the, in the back deck. Uh, sometimes they're more formal. Jen, uh, last week, she had a end-of-summer party where she sent out an email inviting everybody on our street to come over for an end-of-summer party, and we party. Now, pastor kind of party, so don't go crazy in your mind there. Uh, it, was, it was a great time as everybody got together and celebrated these growing friendships. And when you prioritize those relationships, when you spend time together and share of your life, and we openly talk about our love for God and for our church and our pride in our church, Spiritual impact comes out of loving relationship. In fact, one of our neighbors uh, informed us that they're visiting the Compass Church this weekend for the first time. And I'm not sure if they're at this service or at the next. If you're here, welcome to the Compass Church. We are thrilled to have you here. It is an honor to be with you. And folks, I would just encourage you to follow Jesus Follow my wife's example and find ways to relationally prioritize and love not only your Christian friends, but those who don't know the sweetness of life with the Lord yet. All right, so what happens? Jesus is having this party and he's bonding with Zacchaeus at his house. Well, it is about to get ugly. Verse 7, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. I'm imagining they're sitting outside Zacchaeus's house in the public, and I'm imagining that people are walking by and pointing and nudging, and they think what's going on here is wrong. A good spiritual guy like Jesus shouldn't be socializing with a terrible sinner like Zacchaeus. That is bad. And they're conveying a message to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you have no business being loved by a godly person or thinking that you might be loved by God. You know, a message of condemnation is coming the way of Jesus and the way of Zacchaeus in this moment. Look what Zacchaeus does. But Zacchaeus, he stood up. He stood up and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times that amount. Unbelievable. What do we see here? We see a guy who's wrestling with the love that he's feeling from Jesus and the reminder of his own sin as these town members grumble. And he stands up and he announces change in his heart. He said, I didn't used to embrace generosity. I didn't used to embrace integrity. But I will from now on. A change, a transformation is occurring in this man. Look how Jesus responds to that transformation. Jesus says in verse 9, 
Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, Zacchaeus, he too is a son of Abraham. Can, can we comment on that for just a moment here? Uh, when Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house, it's important to note, is Zacchaeus saved or reconciled with God because of his good works? And the answer is no. He's expressed his intent to do good works. I'm going to give money and I'm going to pay back and right my wrongs. But has he done anything yet? No, he's just expressed intent. And yet Jesus says, today, this man today has been saved, reconciled to God. The reason is our salvation is not by us working for years to earn and pay back what we've done wrong. Salvation is a gift that we get in a moment when we turn to God. I would also point out, he said, because uh, this man too is a son of Abraham. Abraham is taught in the Bible to be our example of saving faith. The Bible says that Abraham had faith. He trusted, he believed God. And he was reconciled to God as a result of that faith. So many times in the New Testament, we are told that the means to getting right with God is faith. Faith is when you look to the Lord and you say, I trust you. You're my only hope. In this moment, Zacchaeus is trusting in the grace and the forgiveness he's feeling from Jesus. And similarly, you know, Jesus died on a cross to save us, to rescue us, to pay for our sins. The cross is judicial payment being made. It's the justice of God being satisfied by a substitute paying the death penalty for us. And when we say, Jesus, you're my only hope. Jesus, I'm clinging to you as my Savior. That's faith. That's trust in Christ. And the Bible says that's what Abraham demonstrated, and that's what Zacchaeus demonstrated, and that's what we must demonstrate. And when we do, in that moment, we are saved, reconciled to God, both in this life, and for all eternity. Folks, Jesus stepped into Zacchaeus' life, and the end result was salvation of this precious man. And I just want to tell you, if you have the courage to follow God in a rescue mission for extended family, co-workers, neighbors, God will use you. Do you save? No, Jesus is the Savior. But you can be part of his rescue mission and the means by which God brings people to him. Are you interested? Every one of us, with a little bit of courage, holding God's hand and following his prompt, can be used to do this. There's a young a uh, teenage girl in our church who, I just got to share this with you. This is so inspiring to me. It all began with a guy in my small group, and I asked him to share his story about how he came to Jesus. And he said, we hired a babysitter who goes to the Compass Church. And she was the best babysitter we ever had. Her love and integrity with which she faithfully served our family won us over. 
and we were getting to know her. She was getting to know us. We just adored her, everything about her. And she was open about her love for God and her love for the Compass Church. And one day she said, you know what? Your kids would really enjoy the children's ministry at our church. And they said, we trusted her with our kids. We trusted her advice concerning our kids. And so we brought them to church. They stood in the lobby while their kids went to church. (laughs) And then they decided to come in and see what the adults were doing. And they came back, and they came back. And the wife of my friend says that she just felt every time she came... Like the Spirit of God was stirring her. Something was going on inside of her. It was freaking her out a bit. But this was what she was made for. Both of them, both of their kids have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and been radically saved by the initiative of a high school kid courageously following Jesus. He can use you too. Going back to this verse. Jesus ends it in this way. He says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the Son of Man. He said, My mission, the reason I came to planet Earth, what I'm all about, is rescuing those who are spiritually lost. And if that's Jesus' mission, it should be our mission too, should it not? Remember what our mission is? Our mission is to love him more, so more love him. To love him more, so more love him. So more love him is all about reaching more people, rescuing more people, bringing them into God's family. We are all about that. Some churches admittedly downplay that reaching responsibility. We at the Compass Church will never do so. If Jesus said that's what I'm all about, we must be all about this. And so... uh, We do things, you know, the way we design our buildings and the way we create music to worship the Lord and the way we design our children's ministry. One of the thoughts is, will this be effective at helping unchurched people feel at home, comfortable, and drawn to hear the good news of Christ? Even the, uh, we have a series that's, so next week I'm going to end our charting our course. The week after that, we're going to start a brand new series called uh, The Official Guide to to a Joy-Filled Life. It's a study of Philippians 4 about pervading joy. And this is a great series to invite uh, friends to. Who who doesn't want joy? (laughs) Everybody is desiring more genuine joy. And so we started thinking, how can we challenge you on this week to invite folks and help you invite folks to church. And we got a few means. I'll show you one of them here. We got yard signs, huh? I've never done this before. Someone came up with this idea, and I thought, this is great. You know, it simply says, Got Joy and the Compass Church. And through the series on joy, we thought if you had the courage to stick this in your yard, it may spur a conversation. Someone may say, Hey, what's up with your Got Joy yard sign? And you say, Oh, I, I go to the Compass Church. And We have a series on how to find joy, and we're just wanting to invite the whole community to it. And it may be, you say, oh, man, that's making me uncomfortable. Fantastic. It's about time. It's about time we push ourselves out of our comfort zone a bit. As you leave today, there are tables out there where you can pick up one, two, however many. My prayer is that all throughout our community, there will be yard signs letting folks know that they're invited to this this uh, coming series to our church. 
Uh, another thing, we, we've got uh, invite cards on the table. You'll also find a bunch of these cards that describe the series, the official guide to a joy-filled life. Pick up as many of these cards as you'd like with the understanding that you're going to pass them out as, as a means of inviting folks to it. And then one more, uh, this week I filmed a little short intro video, an intro to this series. And this little short video will be sent electronically via email to you. And you can put that little video on social media or forward the email to friends and family. But these are just tools by which you can courageously follow the path of Jesus and reach your world. We have a couple uh, at our 95th Street campus named Eric and Jamie. And they're a young couple, you know, young newlyweds. They could so easily insulate and isolate themselves relationally in their own marital bliss. But they've courageously sought ways to connect with neighbors. A job came along. Why am I telling the story? Let's hear them tell the story. I'm Eric Gustafson. And I'm Jamie Gustafson. We are community life architects um, here in Naperville. Basically, we live as RAs for an apartment complex. We put on events to try to foster community feel. Um, Everything from backyard barbecues to movies in the pool. Just basically trying to foster an atmosphere of getting to know everybody and hanging out on a regular basis. It's funny, we actually found out about it through our brother. Honestly, it was kind of dumb luck that we came across it. We took a lot of time praying and seeking counsel from people in our lives, whether we should do it or not, because we felt like we already had a good um, amount of things on our plate. But ultimately, um, one of our friends asked, like, it's not about, like, how it affects this thing and that thing and the other thing, but it's about... Like, do you want to do this ministry? Do you want to reach out to this group of people in this area? Mm-hmm. And that's something we're really passionate about because we came from such strong community and we know how it can really impact people. Our first event was like two months ago. Like the end of June, yeah. The end of June. And when we took on the role, it was like, great. But then the work started happening. It was like, still kind of great, but also really intimidating. And uh, we had, at the first barbecue, um, for the first 15 minutes, no one showed up. And I was sitting there at the grill, I was like, no one's here. This is really depressing and not, not how I wanted this to start. But it's been really great because after that first 15 minutes, people started showing up. And five, six events later, we were starting to see the same people. Like. Mm-hmm. That's good. Like, we're building that relationship with people. So I think God is just, like, I don't know what he's doing in their lives, what he's doing in their hearts and stuff like that, but he's affirming at least my emotional state, my decision, our decision to do this. We're called to be lights to the world. And I think a lot of times, like I said earlier, life gets in the way of that. We think it's it's too busy, uh, too tired, XYZ, fill in the blank. And while this is our job, I think I'm learning that, yeah, life is busy, but you can make time to be a good neighbor. You can make time to ask someone how they're doing and 
you know, mean it. So I think what God's been showing me is just, if, if I want to be a good neighbor, I can be a good neighbor, even if I had a bad day at work. Like, a five minute conversation goes a long way for someone, I think. I think as like humans, we just need to be heard and loved and feel like, yeah, people are paying attention to our story. And so my hope is that not only would people like feel comfortable sharing their stories with us, but that our story and our testimonies would impact them and then it would just kind of have a ripple effect.